Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Jan Wong, journalist, author, teacher, flautist. (laughs) It's good to have you back. Uh, Today on the show, Jan, God save the tweets. I mean it, Jan. I know. Also, Flaming upwards at CTV. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Kelly Proudfoot, Steve Suderman, Jesse Evans, Lucas White, Roberta Harrison, Sarah Bergeron, Katrina Clark, and Elizabeth. Hi, my name is Elizabeth. I live in Toronto. I'm a business operations manager for a global financial data solutions business. I support Canada Land because my passions are in the humanities, and I believe in the value of public discourse, and frankly don't know where else we can find it in Canada. Especially enjoying lately Commons Monopoly and Canada Land Back. Aussi j'écoute en détour pour mieux comprendre les points de vue de mes voisins québécois. Keep up the great work, Canada Land. Twitter just announced a major new policy that could have a big impact on what you tweet. Twitter is forbidding users from promoting other social media platforms. All the buzz about Elon Musk. It's been less than two months since he took over, but Elon Musk is already signaling he might give up the corner office at Twitter. Inspiration of Elon Musk's Twitter poll. The uh, results are in at this point. That poll asking if he should step down from the head of Twitter. 
Journalists from CNN, The New York Times and Washington Post were also suddenly suspended. More stunning developments as the sixth batch of Twitter files are released last night. The latest highlighting the FBI's social media focused task force. Jan, everybody is wrong about what's happening at Twitter except for me. <laughs> and me. Don't forget me. I don't know. I haven't heard you. What do you think? Have you been following this? Yes, I love it. I've been following it and I've been thinking, you know, everybody's going, well, he's now he's doing this and then he's doing that and then he's deleting people's accounts. And it just reminds me, and I felt this when I first became a business reporter, I was in China studying and then I, I got my journalism degree and I studied business journalism. And what struck me was the similarity between corporate America and the Chinese Communist Party. So if you think of Twitter like as a country run by a dictator like Xi Jinping, then all of this is very normal for him to go and say off with their heads and fire everybody and delete accounts and make rules and have an election or have a poll that you just ignore because the results weren't what you expected. If you look at it like this, it's not surprising. But if you look at it from a rational point of view of capitalism, like why would anybody do this to a company for which they paid $44 billion, then it doesn't make sense. But then that's how capitalism corrects itself, whereas communism cannot correct itself. So sorry to give you the Marxist take on this, but I just can't resist. Yeah, I don't know that you're wrong about Twitter. You're different about Twitter. That's not what I was about to say. But, <laughs> but, but, but it doesn't strike me as wrong, per se. We should probably offer people a, a, something of a summary and not assume that everybody's been following this uh, drama. All right, let, let me give it a shot here. So uh, Elon Musk, who was at the time the richest man in the world, bought Twitter, I guess by accident, maybe. And, and, and since he did that, it's been... Just like an endless seizure of chaos. You know, the expression shitting the bed, but like this is like <laughs> if somebody's just sort of constantly shitting the bed, like shit, just can't stop shitting the bed, like in perpetuity, like just magically unable to cease shitting his own bed. Okay, summary. He's made these sweeping catastrophic changes and also tiny catastrophic changes, sweeping like firing half of Twitter's staff sweeping like this overnight fundamental shift in their verification policies that resulted briefly in like, I don't know, some guy from Denver briefly controlling what looked like the official Nintendo account and the government of Tanzania account, <laughs> which, you know, sent advertisers fleeing and threatened the business model. And then minor catastrophes like banning specific reporters who he has some petty personal quarrel with, and then just as rapidly reinstating their accounts after a public backlash or petty little things like banning people from linking to Twitter rivals like Mastodon. There are purportedly reasons for these changes. Maybe I was too generous to some of them initially. I was hopeful anyhow. It is a fact that Twitter, before Elon Musk was poorly run, losing money, headed for disaster, had a huge problem, an intractable content moderation problem. So those are like the stated reasons for some of Elon Musk's actions. Clearly, though, he's also on some sort of a political, like intellectual dark web, anti-woke crusade against the deep state, against big tech elites. That's mo a motivating factor, seemingly. So there's like a political ideological strain to this. From our perspective as people on Twitter, the result has just been like, this is what Twitter has been about since he bought it. It's the Elon show. 
I think you expressed earlier, Jan, like that it's been kind of fun to watch and there's parts of it that have been kind of like just who knows what's happening next. It's sort of entertaining. I have not been here for this because <laughs> I value Twitter too much. Like, and I, I don't find him interesting. He's not interesting to me either as like some role model or as a punching bag. Like, I guess it's anthropologically interesting just mm-hmm. to see like you could be the richest man in the world and do this. Like he's supposed to be dating a celebrity or like flying in space or hunting humans for sport. On, on a private island, but it, it's sort of crushing and heartbreaking and very human that instead he's just like desperately trying to land one perfect tweet that everybody loves and yeah. just can't, can't get there. That's interesting, you know, I guess in a way. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think it's, it's car crash interesting. So we like to watch it. Unfortunately, we are all passengers in the car and that's why this is particularly problematic. And I agree with you. A lot of people look down on me for being on Twitter, like normal people, like non-journalists look down on me and say, why are you on Twitter? And it's because it's almost like where a newsroom editor would find stories to assign reporters. It's sort of the early warning system of news. And so I enjoy it. And of course, there's a lot of humor on it. I'm not a big fan of, you know, dog pictures, but that's fine. But I find it a really good public forum. So when he took it over, I I was watching it and people were saying, oh, he's bidding 44 million. He won't go through with it. And it's like, you don't understand. There are penalties. You don't just casually bid 44 billion and then you think you can walk away. So all along, you know, it's been also interesting to me as a business story. And then when he fired everybody or everybody quit, the people that are still sticking around are tech people whose American visas are tied to their employment. So they're almost like- Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Uh they're almost like serfs or hostages. They can't leave. Because a lot of uh, the tech in the U.S., a lot of the employees are foreigners who come here and have special visas and they can't leave or they have to leave the country. So it's a fascinating business story. And it's a fascinating journalism story. And unfortunately, we're all sitting in this car as it's, you know, (laughs) smashing into walls and getting flat tires. I think that's completely reasonable and kind of, I don't know, flirting with my kind of more deep and passionate uh, attachment to the service. I reject, as I've said before, this, oh, the bird site is a hell site. And, and, And it's sort of consistent with the rejection of Elon Musk, like, oh, watch this clown the kind of vibe that you are met with by normal people, like why why would you be on that thing, and saying you know no actually this is this is valuable and entertaining. I I, I actually think it's a lot more than that. Yeah. And I and the reason why I can't enjoy this as a as an onlooker is because, you know, I don't care about Elon Musk. I don't care about cars. I don't care about space. But I care about Twitter. I care about the fact that we have one place for sharing sentences. It's actually kind of remarkable that there is this one public forum and everyone agrees. Every government has an official account. Every Mm -hmm. company has an Mm -hmm. account. It is where we have all in this incredibly fractured, like I think if we look back on this moment in history as the moment before everything really went to hell and and maybe a hundred years from now, we're trying to understand why everything went to hell. It will be because we stopped being able to use language to understand each other. Right, And so I, I actually place a high value in the fact that we have, we still, it's, it's remarkable that we still have one common public forum. But what I think people are missing in their fascination with the flaming wreckage of, of Elon Musk and as he destroys this thing is what has been revealed in these Twitter files that have been released. Yeah, 
Yeah. Have you been following that? A little bit, but it seems that they found the inner workings inside Twitter once he took over of the decisions, for instance, when to suspend President Trump's Twitter account, because that was an agonizing decision for Twitter. It was going into no man's land. And they did it. And now that Musk has bought it, he's got access to all the internal communications. And then I think he assigned a few commentators to look at it. And they've been they've been putting it out. But, you know, I think it's a lot of fuss about very little. That's what I think. What do you think? Okay, we finally found something we can disagree on here. <laughs> so this is sort of the tragedy of our moment is that because this is a story that's very important to Fox News— it de facto has become a story that has to be unimportant. And what we've seen since this has come out is, is uh, I think, a consensus of pretty much every journalist I follow. And I'm listening to Frontburner and I'm reading Justin Ling's tweets and everyone is saying, oh, this is a nothing burger. You know, and I'm not going to cry for the right wingers who feel that Twitter's been persecuting them. Why do you think it's not a nothing burger? To me, it's a nothing burger. I agree with Justin Ling. Let me make my case here and let me actually tell people what this is. Okay. So essentially, consistent with his ideological bent that Twitter has been, you know, big tech elites who have been, you know, in the pocket of the left or the deep state or whatever, Elon Musk takes over Twitter and basically gives access, selective access to internal files to handpick journalists, as you say. You know, you could call them right-wingers, Barry Weiss for sure, but Matt Taibbi is more of like, I'm a swashbuckling independent who thinks that mainstream journalists are bullshit. Some of them are, you know, they're, but they're all kind of like against what they consider journalist groupthink. And that's why he picks them. And he has conditions for them, like they have to publish their findings on Twitter first. I could care less about the Hunter Biden laptop story. I don't really care. Yeah. What was revealed to me, there's this fallacy with journalists of like, unless a scoop is like has smoking gun evidence of some, you know, powerful person kicking a, a baby or something. They're like, oh, this is nothing. We knew this was happening, but we didn't see it happening. So yes, we knew. And this is why you should care about this. I will argue. We knew that Twitter was getting phone calls from the FBI saying, you got to take this account down. It's dangerous. It's, it's revealing state secrets. And we knew that Twitter was getting calls from Biden and his people. And we knew that Twitter was getting calls from Trump and his people. We know that this happens every day. Mm -hmm. And then Twitter has to decide, basically, do we suppress this story because a powerful person is telling us to or not? But we never saw how it happens. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what was revealed in the Twitter thread was like, oh, my God, here is the software they use. Here are the techniques they have. It's not just about banning an account. They can shadow ban an account so it can't get any traction. Mm -hmm. Shadow banning where they tweak the uh, technology so that your, your voice isn't heard as much. They can actually go so far as to censor a topic from people's private direct messages. Okay, right? well, let me just jump in here and say, guess what? This has been happening for a century in newsrooms, in traditional newspaper yes, media. Yes, yes, yes. So— that and, and is it, so is it a nothing shocked. burger? It's a nothing Don't be burger. shocked. <laughs> is it a nothing burger when Nixon called up the, the Washington Post? Don't you want to know everything about yes. that? And don't you want to know yes. how that decision was handled? Yes. And who when made I say the call? nothing burger, it's the act of trying to cancel something. That's the nothing burger. There's That's nothing, nothing new burger. about it. But no, we it know is... that they have to cancel things. But, yes. but this is the yes. most important thing. And for, from a media perspective, this is so important going forward. This is the new newspaper. You hit the nail on the head. Who cares about calling the editor of a newspaper, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Now, to control the flow of information, 
powerful people call up Twitter. Mm -hmm. And what we saw was how haphazard and ad hoc and inconsistent Twitter's process is for dealing with that. Because they don't have the decades of experience of a traditional newspaper with a publisher, you know, like at the New York Times, they have a whole family. And it's it's been passed through generations of how to deal with a president calling you up and telling you this is national security at stake and, and kill this story. So that's why I'm saying I'm not surprised. It is fascinating to see the entrails. I love entrails. That's great. But the fact that that people were trying to you know, tell Twitter what to do and that Twitter was trying to do the right thing, trying to weigh it and measure it. That's not that fascinating to me. That's okay, fine. Because frankly, I didn't even read that Twitter file stuff until I agreed to come on the show. And I thought, well, I guess I better not look like a total idiot and I better read this. But it's <laughs> not we that important. You to. It's not important. It's not that- no, no, we're getting somewhere because now you, we're at entrails and fascinating entrails, which is better than nothing burger. <laughs> That's where burgers come from, you know. You exactly. don't want to know. We're, we're, <laughs> they grind up the entrails. Here. Jen, I have a dream. I want to share with you my dream here. You are absolutely correct that what Twitter lacks and what, let's say, the New York Times has is a system of editorial decision-making. And when I read these Twitter files— I don't care about the content of, uh, like, it, what the stories weren't that interesting to me, but it was the process because I'm a nerd about mm-hmm. this stuff. Mm-hmm. And what we saw was there was no law in the jungle. Like, mm-hmm. it was the head of communications talking to the head of legal, talking, like, it was the moderation team, and then it was just the power structure of Twitter was was trumping any kind of rational decision-making process as they dealt with what is absolutely an editorial matter. And there were some voices in the mix saying, if we're going to suppress this story, on what basis are we suppressing mm-hmm. it? And and someone said, well, we have a rule against hacked information, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we could say that this was hacked information. And then somebody else says, but we don't know that it was hacked information. You know, how are we going to defend that? And I'm like, this is a newsroom conversation yes. that is being had by amateurs. Yeah. And it's not just that the New York Times has a system, but our industry has a system and has norms across newsrooms. And we violate them all the time, and it's messy, and we don't always do it well. It's messy. But we have rules. The owner can't come in and trump the editor-in-chief, or the editor-in-chief would would resign, you know? The head of advertising— Well, I got news for you. I got news for you. I know, I know. And the act— But we at least have a rule book, and when people violate it, we can talk about it, you know? It's not all a secret. Well, no, we don't talk about it. And Twitter, it's all been a secret. No, no, it's a secret at at major newspapers, too. We don't find out about it in real time— because nobody wants to get fired. But we do find out about it when the journalists end up retiring and they write their memoirs. I don't see Twitter (laughs) as very different, except that at Twitter, they're all novices. You know, the people writing it are are more tech people. They're not traditional journalists. So they, they are babes in the woods when it comes to making these kind of editorial decisions. And so, yeah, maybe I'll go back and read it again, because I would... That would be interesting. You should read it. There's a one that just came out that was a Twitter thread that was about how the intelligence community in the States came to Twitter and said, hey, we've got a bunch of accounts that are faking being these Arabic language accounts about what's happening with like the Saudi Arabia's war uh, against Yemen. Yeah. And they're propaganda accounts. They are government-created propaganda accounts, and we want yeah. you to protect them and help us hide the fact that they're propaganda. And Twitter actually has an explicit policy against that. Oh, that's interesting. So this is all about news in the future. Yes. This is all about how, how who is going to control the news in the future. And what I saw in this 
haphazard, shitty, improper conversation that Twitter mm-hmm. was having internally was like the promise of something better. And Elon exposing that, it's like, I suddenly realized where the news has to move. We need to take everything that we have built in the news industry, as imperfect as it is, uh-huh. and we have to bring that into social media if there still is common ground to regulate. Because what's going to happen if he succeeds in destroying Twitter is that it's all going to get blown to a million pieces and balkanized. And we're all going to go. And people are like so stupid. They're like, I'm taking my ball and going to Mastodon. I know. I, I'm I going know. to Gab. I'm going to – everyone's going to their echo chambers. And we're not going to have one place that we might actually be able to apply some editorial rigor to. Like, right. It, 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 this might be the last chance we have. That's what I'm saying. It's not exactly analogous to a traditional media because in Twitter's case, the little bits of news and commentary are coming from the masses. It's not coming from paid, you know, staff writers. So that's a big difference. So for Twitter to try to moderate it, it's a lot messier. But I agree with you. It's not helpful for people to take their marbles and go home. I haven't left. I assume you haven't left, right? You're not going to another place. Hey, I have said I'm here till I'm going down with the ship. And and let me tell you, if it goes down in flames, I will absolutely be Hey, you're changing our metaphor. It's a car. (laughs) I'm I'm here to mix them. I will absolutely show up at Mastodon with my tail between my legs and say, hey, is there still room? I'm going to talk, and and this is my job. I'll do it wherever the conversation is happening. I know. But I'm scared. I don't want it to splinter off into a million little pieces. This is what I think as an old business reporter, but this is what I think is going to happen, especially with that stupid poll he did where where Elon Musk said, you know, do you want me to step down as CEO? I I will obey. Well, it was ridiculous. What I think he's doing is he's going to sell it at a big loss and uh, take the tax deduction. And somebody else, some person who thinks they can do a much better job will take it over and try to make it profitable. That's what I think. I think it's still a huge asset for somebody. And I don't see, I think Elon Musk is tired of this. I mean, I don't think he has a long attention span and it's affecting his Tesla stock and the board, some of the big shareholders of Tesla are getting really mad at him. And he also, he broke his word where he said he wasn't going to sell any more Tesla stock after like a few months ago, but he just sold more because he has no money. It's, he's running into financial problems. That's what I predict. I don't, I don't think it's going to go down in flames. I think it'll be a big mess and somebody else will step in and try to, I'll go with your metaphor, right the ship. That's what I think. I love your prediction. I take comfort in your prediction. And it was sort of where I started was like, look, this is all a lot of sound and fury, but ultimately Twitter ain't going anywhere. And everybody who's like threatening to leave is probably going to come back or come back as a lurker. I hope that's true. (laughs) And I think that maybe there's a way to right size it because the thing with Twitter was it was never going to be Facebook or Google. The ads were never as effective. It was not as good as at compromising our privacy for commercial purposes. It's a very simple thing. It's just a sentence machine. And anybody can replicate it, but what they'll lose is the oneness of it. Yeah, I I love Twitter. Yeah. I I find out stuff about Ukraine that I don't see anywhere else. I see videos of streets in China right now, now that they've done their whiplash thing. Remember I told you I see a really strong affinity between Xi Jinping, the the ruler of China, and Elon Musk. I see the empty streets in Shanghai and Beijing now that the lockdown is over. I don't see that anywhere else. And it's really quick. Nothing has supplanted it. Yeah. 
It's really good. There isn't some second best Twitter. Like there are other things that do other things, but nothing does what Twitter does. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. On this program, Jan, we want to make sure that people don't miss important news stories, so we duly note them. May I begin? Yes, please. Jen, I want to duly note this story out of Winnipeg that, like, easily overlooked story, but pretty damn interesting because it's a follow-up on a story from a couple years ago when the CBC reported that uh, employees at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg, this was Izzy Asper's legacy. This is actually, It's a great museum, the Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg. Employees there complained about human rights abuses at the museum. The, the, the museum itself was guilty of human rights abuse. What human rights abuses? Well, the Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg had been giving tours to high school students in which they censored LGBTQ issues, women's rights issues, abortion, human rights for women and queer people were just like, they just removed that from the tour at the request of certain schools. Shamefully, employees of the museum were instructed to comply with that request. Like, let's tell the story of human rights, but just vanish these groups from that story. And God bless them, the employees complained about that. And that led to all kinds of controversy at the museum. And the CEO left, and they hired a lawyer to investigate themselves. And files ended up with the government, and the CBC is trying to get to the bottom of the story. And what do you want to know? You want to know which schools made these requests, but they were unable to identify a couple of the schools because the schools asked to be unnamed, obscured, a publication ban, redacted, whatever. They did not want the public to know that they had asked for this. And those schools, the courts have now decided 
should be named. They should not be allowed to maintain their secrecy and their bigotry. Yay. And guess what? What? Those schools are Plymouth Brethren Christian Church schools. They're from the one school network of private schools that are operated by the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. And Jan, if you haven't heard of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. No, I don't know. Tell me. You, you don't listen to Canada Land enough. Sorry. I'm sorry. We did a series called Ratfucker that is all about this uh, evangelical sect or is largely about this evangelical sect, its political connections, its COVID contracts, and its uh, relationships with powerful oh, conservatives okay. in Alberta. And they were the ones, their schools, who did not want their students to learn about queer rights and women's rights. And then they asked to have that be hushed up. Why? Why would they not be proud of themselves? That's what I find interesting. If they're going to be so horrible, they obviously think it's a good thing. Why would they want to hide? That's an excellent question. Let me take that in two parts. I'll tell you what they said, because, yeah, if they are bigots and they don't think that women's rights exist or queer rights exist or they don't want their students to know that queer people exist, then you'd figure that they'd be proud to say that. So why would why would they want their names hidden So there's what they said, and then I think there's the truth of it. Here's what they said. Their their lawyer said that after school shootings in the United States led to revenue loss from decreased enrollment, they wanted to avoid such an outcome if their school's name was publicized. And they also said that this was to protect the privacy of their students. No one was trying to expose the names of their students, but that's what they argued. What's the real reason? I think because of their political connections, and this is just my opinion. I think that because they also are connected to a, a network of companies that get government contracts, oh, okay, good. Th- they they cannot be as proud of their bigotry as they might otherwise be I because see. they actually do have to exist in the world with the rest of us where we where we don't take kindly to that kind of bigotry. Hmm. Duly noted. What have you, Jan, to duly note? Well, I have been watching. I finished watching the Netflix series. Harry and Meghan. And it's been getting bad reviews, generally speaking, by royal watchers who say, oh, you know, they're just trying to make money off their relationship. But I watched it, all six episodes. And at first I thought, well, it is a little slow and it is a little bit like a big Instagram fluffy. I think the first episode was about their courtship. But as it progressed, it was like, oh my God, What a story. It's an amazing story about racism in the British monarchy. And it's told by insiders, literal insiders, of course. Prince Harry is the younger brother of Prince William and the son of now King Charles. And I found it utterly, utterly fascinating and and really sad to watch Meghan Markle, who is a black actor, half white, half black, you know, marry into the family with the highest hopes. And as Canada is a member of the Commonwealth, and as Toronto is a very multicultural society, you just look at the British royal family and you shake your head. Like, this was your big chance to step into the 21st century and to try to save the the monarchy. I mean, I just, I don't know whether King Charles is going to appear on our money, but I'm kind of horrified and cringing because if he appears on the Canadian paper money, I'm just going to like, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
just use my credit card, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> so I I think that the series has gotten a bad rap. And I, I do think it's a fascinating story. And I think people should watch it. I guess I'm sort of half sold. That is interesting stuff. And I don't doubt any of that. And, and I guess getting to see it firsthand is like you don't usually get to see that. But are you not concerned or troubled by this trend of people producing documentaries about themselves no. in the Netflix age? No. It doesn't bother you? Well, I wrote several memoirs, so, you know, you're asking the wrong person. No, I Shit. think it's— fair enough, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. I think everybody says, oh, it's one-sided. Yeah, of course. It's their story, and it's called Harry and Meghan. No, I'm not troubled because I. it's, in a way, if you're a journalist, it's raw material. It's like interviewing them, right? They tell you what they want to tell you, obviously. And are you getting the whole picture? Actually, you're probably getting a pretty good picture. And some of the shocking stuff is how, and as a journalist, I love this, how the various communications departments of, you know, Prince William and Prince Harry and Queen Elizabeth and then, you know, Charles, how they all were trying to serve their master by if there was a damaging story about their master, then they would leak more damaging story about someone else. So that's kind of stuff I find uh -huh. really interesting. So if you want to see it, I would sort of jump through the first episode if you're not into romance. I liked it. I love looking at the clothes. But I just love the little details where she says when she first joined the royal family, she was told you can't wear the same color as the queen. Like, who knew that? So to play it safe, she just wore gray and beige. And, and you see the footage and you realize it's true. And then on their last uh, week when they had already said they were going to leave the, their royal duties or actually they were kicked out. It was really they got fired. She's wearing bright primary colors. So I don't know. I just love this stuff. Oh. You you probably don't care what color Meghan Markle wears, but I do. And I just what, think— what are, what are these assumptions? Why do you assume that I would want to skip the romantic part? I'm just I don't sexist. Know what you, think of me. you got me. I'm sexist. Duly noted. <laughs> I have something to duly know that is not a news story at all. I just want everyone to know we are hiring. We're looking for a terrific senior producer for our flagship Monday show. We're looking for an audio journalist to tell great stories and help us to tell great stories. So if that's you or someone you know, check us out at canadaland.com slash jobs. Duly noted. Jen, I want to give our listeners an update on the, I guess, the fallout, maybe the conclusion to the story of Lisa LaFlam and CTV. Michael Melling is a name that we introduced to Canadian newsreaders. He was a behind-the-scenes guy, but when the entire country was like, what the hell just happened? Mm -hmm. Why is Lisa Laflamme out at CTV? We we did some digging, and we said, okay, it's got a lot to do with the VP of news at CTV, Michael Melling. Yeah. And we did some reporting where uh, we, we sourced from a lot of different people there that he had conflicts with Lisa Laflamme. He had many conflicts with women. Robin Doolittle later followed up and, and found that he had made a comment about her hair. Anyhow, he basically became, I think it's only right to say that he kind of became the villain of the story, like the guy for whom, you know, this was this was uh, most associated with, with her firing was Michael Melling. Well, it's just been reported by Joanna Chu at the Toronto Star after this internal review of everything at CTV, which was, you know, the corporate response, the outcome for Michael Melling is now known he's not out. He's not fired. Mm -hmm. He has been permanently replaced in the news department, and and he has been reassigned. He's he's still an executive. 
He is the vice president of shared services, mm-hmm. which sounds like being put out to pasture. But in fact, Joanna's story at the Star quotes a source saying, no, you got to understand, in the Bell universe, shared services is way bigger. <sighs> you know, it, that always happens. Some guy messes up and then he gets promoted. But some woman just gets dumped. So there you go. This little story, at, it's not a little story. This story at CTV just shows you when a guy messes up, he gets promoted. I want to push back on the notion that he messed up. Stay with me here a second, I promise. Okay. It's not what you think. We reported that, like, this was not Michael Melling acting alone. This was not a VP taking it upon himself to make this decision. This was signed off on at the top. Mirko Bibic agreed to this move. And so within their universe of decision-making, it was an impossibility to determine that Michael Melling made a mistake because if he made a mistake and was fired on that basis, he has grounds for a lawsuit. He's going to like, why would he go quietly? Why would he go cheaply? And the collateral damage could go right to the top. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Hmm. So obviously they did not want this to go the way that it went. And it was one of the most significant miscalculations and blunders in like, you know, PR history. Like, I don't know what the hell they were thinking. So yes, you know, and then you could also, of course, say this was a mistake because she was the top rated anchor uh, of any national TV newscast in the country and was deserved that job. And obviously Canadians wanted her to have that job. So it was a mistake that way too. But within their universe, I've tried to kind of keep a bit of a line between what we've been able to put on the factual record in our reporting and then my analysis of what's going on, why I think these decisions were made. I've been opining from the start that none of that stuff about the success of Lisa LaFlamme and her popularity matters to Bell CTV. This is a universe in which they make, just by order of magnitude, more money as a telecom company, and she had too much power for such a small player in their world, and they just wanted control. Well, probably money, control, misogyny, sexism, ageism, probably all of those factors, and they didn't take into account public response. Yeah. Because they're not, you know, it's a corporation, so they don't care what you think. And then they realized, oh, we have to care what we think. We forgot that she's a public figure. So it was, it's an interesting um, blind spot that the CTV executives had, not CTV directly, but Bell, that they, they forgot, oh, she's actually our voice to the public. And so You know, it just shows you how detached they are from reality. And you're right about that's probably why he got promoted. They probably probably love him. Well, that's, that's the thing. I don't think that they, this was their plan. I don't think they wanted it to go down this way. But to call them detached from reality, I wonder if they don't see the public as detached from their reality. Like they could take the worst public beating in, in terms of optics and PR that I've ever seen a Canadian media company take, almost. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I guess there have been a couple examples worse than this, but it was really bad. And mm-hmm. the volume, the traffic astonished me, uh, the, the, the level to which the public cared. And it didn't matter. It doesn't matter to their bottom line. It doesn't matter to their business. Like yeah. the, the, the power of the public in Canada, I think, is, is quite limited. And that's ultimately where this lands for me is you can piss off your customer base to this extent 
and just kind of roll through it and maybe get what you were after at the beginning, which was just, you don't want to have this disruptive person in a department that makes pennies when you're off making millions. Yeah. That to me is, is part of this. And I've been grappling with something about, about this story. Like, help me work through this. It's really reasonable for the public to take the conclusions that they took from our reporting and others and and the facts of our reporting. I stand by them for people to think this was about ageism and sexism and misogyny is not the wrong conclusion, but I knew from reporting this, that the toxic workplace allegations at CTV predate Michael Melling. Right. And the notion that this was the battle of this one woman against a system like that. The main thing that I don't want to be forgotten as it seems like we like tie a bow on this little story of CTV and Lisa Laflamme is that there are many, many people at CTV who talked about workplace abuses and toxic culture that had nothing to do with Lisa Laflamme or Michael Melling that predate or, or, mm-hmm. or in different parts of the company. Those, those complaints, that reality the uh, the investigation of that reality, there's no sunlight there. We don't really know what's going on there. Those complaints are still unresolved. That workplace is still putting out their product every day, and we don't really know exactly. There's a brief moment where, because of Lisa LaFlamme, we were able to get some people to give a damn about it. Most days of the week, if we do a story about this newsroom's toxic workplace or that, it's it's not an, it's not a popular story. But this this endures, and it's not just about one figurehead. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's about an industry problem that persists. Absolutely. That's Shortcuts. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Jesse. We are on Twitter <laughs> at Canada Land. That's where we are. Uh, find us there uh, or email me at jesse at canadaland.com, and I, I read everything you send. Jen Wong. Where can people find you? Well, I'm on Twitter, and I'm at Writer Wong. Writer Wong on Twitter. Check her out. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our production coordinator is Andre Proulx. Theme music is by So-Called. Syndications handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. Listen, people, if you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you to pay for journalism. And when you become a supporter, you get premium access to our shows ad-free, early releases, bonus content. You get our exclusive newsletter. You get discounts on our merch. You get invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. But more than anything, you will be a part of the solution to the journalism crisis in this country. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody else. Go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in the show notes. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Thank you for supporting Canada Land. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get 
for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.